Well, good afternoon, Alpha Tau audience. As I've said, I was going to be gradually uploading remastered editions of the Verbal Bean Prayer series. Got great news for you. This one took a little bit longer. This was a bit more challenging, but going to uh, drop this for you. This is the second part. And again, if you have not purchased Johnny King's Verbal Bean Prayer uh, that has commentary, verbal beans, transcript, and even the student questions, I recommend going to Amazon now, searching Verbal Bean Prayer by Johnny Loy, L-O-Y-E, King, K-I-N-G. Well, I hope you enjoy this one. And again, to those of you that have reached out to me wondering when it was coming, here it is now, so enjoy. The difficulty in teaching prayer is that you're talking to people that's already prayed and get the feeling that they already know how to pray. So it's difficult to teach people that feel like they already know how. And generally, the know-how that we think we know is very possibly learned wrong. We think just to get down and make a noise, if we're saying it pretty loud, uh, we learn maybe even certain positions to pray in from other people or people around us. But really, there is more to know about praying than just getting down and saying a bunch of words. And if you would be willing to learn that, you'll certainly change your life. I do not say this at all, boasting on my part, but I'm just saying the Word of God teaches us these things. And I have, in times past, brushed up against young men who were anxious to know more. And I took out time with them to tell them some of the very things I'm telling you, only to have them tell me later that... Uh, their ministry was changed. The results started happening. Is that not what you want? Amen. And that's your desire, your thirst, your aim, your purpose. If it be that, then uh, I believe we can go somewhere. I believe we've got a team here tonight that can win. Let's go back to some of our points. Please pardon repetition in this next two weeks. I don't want to bore you with it, but I must hang on some of these points because they're vital. I must. So if you will allow it in your minds and accept it, we're going to go back over some of the points that we went through last night and then start branching out from these points in a little more detail. We had the two types of prayer without looking at your notes or at the board. Just what, what are the two types of prayer? Current and memorial. You think, that is that in your mind pretty well fixed? That there's two types? And does that mean anything to you? Does it enlighten your mind to know that some of your prayers that maybe you have not received answers for, that uh, it gives you faith to believe you're going to hell? This is the purpose. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of the Lord. There are three methods of receiving faith. One is, the one I've just quoted, the other is building up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. 
you can learn to pray in the Holy Ghost, your faith is going to be strong. And a man full of faith, unlimited what he can do. If you question that at all, please read your Bible in Hebrews 11 and see the giants of faith and see what happened to them. Now that I build myself up in faith by hearing the word, by praying in the Holy Ghost. Then, of course, another famous way to build faith is just have it tested. The trying of our faith is more precious than gold. But if you do not know how to pray, and you do not pray in the Spirit effectively, you are going to be weak in faith. That is the hidden source of strength. You're only but forever saint of God and child of God. The hidden source, the built-in reserve of strength and faith comes when you go alone with God and talk to him. And remember this, God can be absorbed. This does not contradict the spiritual application of not gathering the manna. You remember the story that Israel was not to gather more than what they needed for one day of the manna. That has its spiritual application and it's good. But I do believe that you can build up a reserve of consecration and prayer that when you need it, you can call on it effectively. I give you the example and then you can catch the thought a little better. When Peter went in to pray for Dorcas, he did not call a prayer and fast conference. He didn't call a three-day fast. He'd already had that. He simply prayed to find out the will of God, and then he said, Tabitha, arise. And he spoke life into that woman's body. Now, what happened there was that in the background, he had been absorbing God and faith and power with God. The scripture uh, we have been using it for the last couple of Sundays in our Sunday school lesson it's real well right here that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you can think or ask according according to the power that works in you. So the secret is that you've got to learn to get that power working in you. And one of the best ways in the world to do that is to learn to really pray and enjoy praying. Now, I don't mean by that that every time you go to pray that you will just be over-anxious. The flesh gets at a place sometime it doesn't want to pray. But if you'll make it over those little dry places, then the majority of your prayer life will be enjoyed. I'll say that. The more you pray, the more you'll want to pray. The less you pray, the less you will want to pray. He calleth unto the deep, the Bible says. Consecration calls for more consecration. And if you start neglecting your prayer life, the first thing you know, you don't want to pray. Prayer is a drudgery to you. Why, if somebody says, we're going to have a morning prayer meeting. Oh, my Lord. You know, you may not say it, but inside, think it. But the more you pray, the more you begin to enjoy praying because you find results. And there's just a strength in prayer. There's a refreshing in it. There's a renewing in prayer. It recharges your battery. This keeps you going. Well, let's go back now to our channels of approach and uh, review them just a little bit and make another statement or two. Now, the reason I didn't make this statement last night, at least one of the reasons, uh, was the fact that I did not want to confuse you. I wanted to emphasize the, that these are direct, distinct channels that God will choose to cause you to approach him through. But... Let me make this statement and make it clear. It is possible in one prayer time you could have touched every one of them. And the reason I didn't say that last night, I wanted these to stand out more distinctly. 
But it is possible that when you get down to pray, you may just pray a while. First thing you know, you may go into supplication, and before it's over, you may be in intercession, and after you have interceded, and generally, when you are in intercession, you will reach its peak, and you'll feel the deliverance. There's nothing will give you more faith than intercession, if you'll carry through with it. Then, generally, after intercession, there's always a time of thanksgiving. So it is possible that in one prayer time, you could have done all four of these things. I'm not saying that when you go to God that, that uh, you just, if he starts you off on this, that's all. You just ruin for the rest of that prayer. And all you can do is either give thanks. But sometimes it does work that way. And if you're conscious of these channels of approach, then it will not confuse you when you pray, nor will it create doubts in your mind. Now this is the reason I feel like to break these down into channels, distinct channels, is to the reason for it is to build your faith. Because if you have searched for supplication, intercession, or thanksgiving, and it did not come, and you certainly made the second step to successful praying, you searched your heart, you knew there wasn't anything wrong, and you did not get anything else, any deeper than just a communion, a conversation with God, then it helps my faith to know that there is a level of prayer that though I don't feel anything, yet I know he hears me. So the reason for this is to give you more faith in your praying and make you understand what's happening. Now, sometimes when you get into the spirit of prayer, you're not going to say, okay, I'm doing number one supplication, or now then I'm on number three, because you haven't really got, that's, that's not even the point of bringing this out. But I believe if you'll keep that in the back of your mind, your faith will build up, as you walk into those channels. Another thing it'll do, it will help you to search for intercession. There are people that have prayed for a lifetime of their Christian experience that never did reach intercession because they didn't know it was available. They never did go for it. They never did it. And then, of course, when the Thanksgiving comes, this is what can really be confusing and overlooked so easily. But I've just found out the more you love him, the more he'll do for you. If you praise your God with a sincere heart, sometimes you don't even have to ask him anymore. In fact, uh, some of the greatest results I've ever had was just quit asking him and start thanking him in advance for it, and you get your results. So as we are coming to the channels of approach to prayer, the two types of prayer we've understood, some we must expect to come now. Others... We do not expect it. We want it. If it can become current, we would like to have it. But if not, we're just going to keep plugging. We're going to keep paying our debts. We're going to keep putting the money in the layaway until one of these days we'll get it out. And you'll learn this one of these days. If you go to pastor in a church and everything's dried up on you and things are not moving and uh, maybe you've got a little problem in the church and you've been a-praying and you've been a-praying and doesn't look like anything's moving. I guarantee you remember what old Brother Bean told you about memorial prayers. And it'll help you. It'll help you go back the next morning when everything's so dry, nothing has happened. Still, had, in fact, maybe the service you had that night was worse than ever. And boy, you'll go back there and you'll wonder where in the world is God and am I out of the will of God and what in the world's the matter? Well, remember, put another payment down. One of these nights it'll break. It's a memorial-type prayer. 
Now, in the, I want to deal for a while with number two, just praying, praying, talking to God. And as I deal with this one channel of approach, we're going out into a few other, uh, you might say, uh, you're going to branch out just a little bit and using this as a starting point. I might say this, I was praying one night right here in this church, and I happened to be laying down on the floor, on my back, praying. Got in there on that carpet, and I was laying there praying. Well, the thought came to me, now you reckon this displeases God for me to be laying here? I reckon he'd rather I'd be on my knees? Does it matter what physical position that I'm in to God? And as I began to think of it, Scriptures came to my mind, and the importance of the physical position left. God only used that as a starter to get me thinking. And he led me off into something that was a blessing to me, and I trust will be a blessing to you. As far as physical position, I do not believe that matters. I do not believe it matters at all. Now, there are some pitfalls of that, especially if you're about half sleepy already. Well, then don't lay down, you'll go to sleep. Or... Sometimes, now I do a lot of walking in prayer, but sometimes that's a pitfall because you see things around you. And we learned last night the only way to get God's attention is for him to get our attention. And with your mind divided and you're walking and looking at everybody and thinking about what they're doing, that can become a pitfall. That's the only reason that posture would mean anything, is to what it does to your mind. But as far as positions, and I do recognize the fact that the apostle made mention of the, his bowing his knee to the Father of lights. I do feel like that there are times we need to bow our knee. It's a sign of humility. But believe me, I do not believe, and I cannot find scripture, that physical position has any bearing on prayer. But in, with this thought in mind, and this may have plagued you, it did me. And you don't need to be plagued with any thoughts while you pray. And you don't need to be bothered with any kind of doubts. You need to clear that up in your mind. But God led me out into some thoughts that helped me a whole lot. And here they are. Here's some of the points. When he was talking to Job, he told Job to stand up, gird his loins like a man, and answer me. Stand up, get up, gird your loins like a man, and answer me. Now that told me something. I really did learn something from that. It might be good if we get that scripture. You might want to refer back to it again if I can find it here right quick. I believe I have not quoted it exactly as it's written, but the thought remains, Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. Let's, let's be a man now. Gird up your loins. The thought, 38.3. Job 38.3. The position that I referred to would almost be a obvious. He's going to gird up his loins. will generally be standing position. Then I thought of another case where he told Daniel, the man we have used as our starting point to teach in prayer, 
He told him to get up off the ground. Stand up. Get up, Daniel. And Daniel said, I got up, but I was so weak. I got up and I was uh, on my hands and knees there. And that wasn't enough. So the angel touched him and strengthened him and lifted him up. Now, I would ask you to make notes of these characters in regards to this particular point. You want to refer back to that and maybe study it a little more carefully. Samuel was told to get up. He was on his face praying, and God instructed him to get up. Now, though this may sound like a contradiction that physical position does not mean anything to God, I do not believe that necessarily God was interested in just them standing on their two feet. There was an attitude that he was trying to develop in them that he wanted. When he told them to get up, he was not just wanting them physically to stand. He wanted something to happen to them inwardly. There is such a thing as standing up inside. Now, of course, you heard the story about the little boy that mother told to sit down and he sat down, but he said, I'm standing up inside. Well, that's exactly that can happen. That's true. I may be sitting, but I'm standing up inside. Well, the reason God's calling on these men to get up, he wants to present a thought to them. And he's telling Job, do it like a man. Now, the false impression that has been for a long time prevalent in our ranks of what true humility is. And you just simply would have to, well, I don't know how to impress this. I, don't, I wish I knew. How valuable and important that you learn this one lesson. The balance between true humility and just pure unbelief. And when I'm talking to God, God wants me to talk to him like a man. But humility, as some folks has got it figured out, is to constantly beat yourself over the head. Referring back to step number two in the steps to successful praying, which is, Father, forgive, Lord, forgive, they get hung up on step number two and think it's humility. The devil makes them think it's humility. Now, you know that I've taught you, and you know that you've found it in God's Word and have already known that sin in your life will hinder prayers. Wrong spirits will hinder. Wrong attitudes will hinder. Your heart must be clean. But on the other hand, don't take step number two in steps to successful praying and hang up there and destroy your power in prayer. Humility is not what some folks have got to figure it out to be. Now here's a typical prayer. Very typical. Besides saying, oh God, as I went through all of that last night, Lord Jesus and help me Lord and oh God and going through that vain repetition, and that's really what it is. Then the next step is to just, my Lord, I'm so unworthy. Oh, God, I'm so unworthy. Now, am I telling you not to ever tell God that? No, no. I believe every once in a while we need to tell God just how sorry we know we are. But dear Lord Jesus in heaven, help us. If your prayer life is going to stop right there then you are going to be without any results. Because by the time I spent one solid hour telling God how sorry I am, 
and him already knowing that. Then I have thoroughly brainwashed myself into believing I was not worthy of what I needed to ask for. Now, I personally believe the reason God told Daniel to get up and wouldn't even let him stop at the point of being on his all fours, I believe he wanted an attitude developed in Daniel. Do you know that God enjoys a relationship between you and I, between he and you and, and, and uh, he and I? He enjoys a relationship that is manly, not cowardly, not backward, not always in the lowlands of self-pity and, and self-abusement, but every now and then he wants you to stand up, honorable creation that has been justified by blood and by name and by spirit, and stand there and boldly, is that what your Bible says? Come boldly to the throne of grace. Boldly. Mark it down because you may, this may help you sometime when the devil's got you down and he's trying to make you believe you can't have it. And here I am saying, oh God, and that old guilty feeling is coming over you. And believe me, uh, the devil can give you a guilty feeling. And you're saying, oh God, I'm so unworthy. And you're so thoroughly milking out of this spirit of defeat. You're milking out all the juice you can get out of it. And one solid hour, that's all you've got is the brine of self-defeat. Oh, I'm so unworthy, Lord, and, and, and here we go. Now, saints, you'd be surprised to know how many of them live their prayer life in self-abusement and self-defeat and think they are being humble. And they just figure that's, that's the very thing. God really enjoys this. I'm just a wallet all over the ground. Just, oh, God, I'm, I'm just so sorry and no good. Well, Lord, he knew that. You don't have to tell him that. The thing you want to do, if you're going to pray a successful prayer, and if you pray a successful prayer, you'll be successful in anything you do. If you want to do that, you're going to have to have some faith in God's mercies and his ability to justify you. One of the, the old common practices of the devil is to pull up an old sin way back yonder and show it to you. You may not have thought of it till you got down to pray, and here he shows that old skeleton to you. And here you go, tuning up again, my God, forgive me. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Well, the first three years of my Christian experience, that's all I said to God. I never made a sensible prayer in the first three years. I thought because I felt guilty that I was supposed to repent and another great point is I thought that I was uh, sinning if I thought evil. <clears throat> I didn't mean to get on that point this early, but since we're on it, try to, try to follow me. I, sometimes I can ramble a little bit, but really, truly, all of it is connected to successful praying. I have found saints that actually for 30 years had the Holy Ghost that were living under the pressure of condemnation simply because they thought evil. Now, how can I go and touch God if I believe that I have sinned? And now I don't have much faith in his forgiveness, so I'm just going to repent of that same old sin for hours. Now, this is ridiculous. But uh, if I went to church, you know what I did through the whole service? 
I'd sit there as a young boy saying, my God, forgive me. Devil, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. My God, forgive me. Now, you think um, maybe that I'm exaggerating. Every waking moment, the devil tormented me that if I was thinking evil at all, I had sinned and didn't have the Holy Ghost. So I was either rebuking the devil or asking forgiveness. Now, you can imagine how much victory you can get out of that. You haven't even got time to pray. And if you pray, you don't believe you can get it. Because while he's praying, maybe an evil thought came through your mind. And my Lord knows. Anybody with the Holy Ghost thinking that? Well, certainly the Bible said he, he will keep them in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on the Lord. But don't forget this. An old preacher helped me out. He said, son, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. That's solid. And then I, in my searching and study and listening, I found that beautiful scripture that said the word of God divides the thoughts from the intentions. Now, sometimes we can't do that. We, and, uh, you know, we feel so guilty because an evil thought came in our minds. But the book divides the thoughts from the intentions, and there is a difference. And here is a sermon in itself that I trust and hope you'll make notes of and preach many times wherever your ministry leads you. Because we are plagued with this one thing. Believe me, I have found churches full of good faithful saints that because an evil thought came in their mind, they felt totally guilty. Now, when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. When you just sit and muse on a thing, you know you're doing wrong. But if a thought flashes through your mind and you got rid of it, you did not any more sin than if you was just born. As long as you're walking here in this little lowland, remember this. The devil has a certain access to your mind. Holy Ghost could be running out your ears, but the devil's got one little spot in there that God will never take away. The ability he's got to touch your mind. Now, if you was glorified and immortal, it's all over with. He can't bother you. But I'll prove it by the Bible. Jesus Christ thought of evil. The Bible said he was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. Now, how could he be tempted if he didn't think of it? I contend he was tempted with fornication. I contend he was, yet without sin. The temptation that the devil carried him up and showed him all those pinnacles, you know, the high pinnacles, that was not physically, that was mentally, and yet without sin. So it is possible to think something and not sin. He divides the thoughts from the intentions. And if you can get that in your mind, your prayer life will start producing more. You'll live a more happy, victorious life. Friend, for three years I like to went crazy because I thought that if you thought evil, you'd backslid. But I found out as long as you're in this flesh, you're going to be tempted. That doesn't mean you're sin. Thought came through there. Man, I you know what I learned to do the best way to handle the devil is just ignore him. Here I was over here fighting him. I rebuked in Jesus' name. I, he wanted me to do that because I was giving him attention and turning my attention from God. The best way to handle him is just don't even pay it attention. If the thought came there, dismiss it or even say, or just say thank you, Jesus. 
Don't repent of it or rebuke the devil either. Just ignore it. What you really did, you didn't sin, you won a victory. You ought to be happy over that. But here's the devil just plowing away at you, and he's the accuser of the brethren. Now, that doesn't justify you naturally going around beholding evil and desiring it and lusting after it. I believe you know that there is a difference. That doesn't justify you letting your mind run loose all day long. This is the reason why some folks can't pray. They can't get God's attention because they let their mind scatterbarrel all day. And then when they come into prayer, it's still running wild. I tell you, the best way for you to really walk with God is to consistently keep your mind. The Bible said, bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and gird up the loins of your mind. And the only way to do that successfully is to do it consistently. Throughout the day, if your mind starts wandering, bring it back to a scripture, bring it back to him. And if you love him, that's not going to be a drudgery. Don't you like to think of someone you love? If you really appreciate the word of God, that's no drudgery that you make your mind think on it. So if you allow all day long, well, I'm not in church and I'm not going to have to pray right now. And I'm not going to have to preach and I'm not going to have to do anything real spiritual. So I'll just kind of let myself go. You know what you're doing? You're damaging the most valuable part of you. You are saying to your mind, just go put loose. And then when you need to gird it, it's not going to be that easy. It's, it's like a it's like a wild horse. You get him and maybe break him. You'll ride a little bit, but turn him out a while. Then get back on him and see what happens. You've got to understand that your mind is something that's got to be constantly worked on. And that doesn't mean, again, that every thought will be just exactly like it ought to be. But I tell you what, if you'll keep training it, it'll be less and less on these other things because you've got too much of this in there. You've got too much of the book. You've got too much of the love of God. You're, you're thinking about souls, the work of the Lord. Listen, preachers, if you're not going to let this great religion consume you and eat you up, you're wasting your time in this little room. If it's going to be a part-time deal and you're going to work in the meantime and you're going to kind of preach on the side and think of God now and then and preach only when you're called on for some special occasion, forget it. But if you're going to let it consume you and eat you up and become your life, do you know what this is to me? My life. Everything about it I like. Always wanted to be a preacher. All right. Get up now. What in the world? God talking to a little old lowly human being, a worm of the dust, and say, now get up here and stand up and talk to me like a man. Do you know who the meekest man on earth was? Moses. Do you believe the Bible meant that he was the meekest man? Really meant he was meek. Okay? Let me show you what the meekest man on earth did in a prayer meeting one time. If you are confused about humility and meekness and humbleness, look at this prayer meeting. Here stands the meekest man on earth by the name of Moses. The cloud of Shekinah glory is hanging all around. The fires are crackling and breaking all around. The divine glory of God is literally shaking a mountain that he's standing on. And all of a sudden, the eternal Jehovah God of the universe says to the meekest man on earth, Moses, turn me aloof. God, deity, saying to a man, one little man, turn me aloof. 
and I will get down to this people that you brought out of Egypt, and I will destroy them, and I'll raise up seed unto you, Moses. Everything that goes in Canaan's land will be strictly a product of your seed. And man, that will be quite an honor to you. Now turn me loose, Moses. You're holding me. Let me get out of your grasp, Moses. Turn me loose, and I'll go destroy that people that you brought out of Egypt. The meekest man on earth, with divine glory cracking all around him, stands there and says to the eternal God, First of all, God, I didn't bring them out. You brought them out. I deny the charge. I thought you were supposed to say, Oh, don't kill me, Lord. Don't hit me right now. Let me say just one little word. Oh, please. The meekest man on earth recognized his position with God, gave him the golden opportunity to be bold. And he didn't stop there. He said, The first place I didn't bring them out, you brought them out. Secondly, dear God, if you take them, Blot my name out. And I would that you would go and read that in your Bible sometime and notice that there is a definite pause, a real genuine break in a sentence where he says, if you take them, blot my name out. That definite pause tells me that Moses, in an intercessory spirit, broke right there with travail for those people. But not one time did he back down from his plea to God. He didn't scream, I'm unworthy. He didn't plead, I, I just can't attain. I'm so sorry till I'm not fit to be up on this mountain. He simply took what he knew God was allowing him to take. And if you can believe it, there's nothing God enjoys more than you pray. There's nothing he enjoys more than you coming in boldly and grabbing hold of him. God enjoys you holding him with genuine man hands. Turn me loose, Moses. <laughs> that tells me something. If God would plead with a man to turn him loose, there must be some power in prayer. There must be some God-given rights for me. Now, I don't come in there telling God what to do. You understand. Again, we say balance in everything. I cannot come in as a commander and say, God, you get over there and do that. And uh, whether it's your will or not, I just want it done. But there is a certain holy boldness that is a product of what? What would you think would be a product of? What would you even feel that bold? Consistent living produced a faith in you, Brother Eddie. The Bible said, if your heart condemns you not, then have you confidence that whatsoever you ask, you receive of him, because you keep his commandments and do those things pleasing in his sight. Consistent living before God, knowing you're clean, gives you a faith to come right up there to it. Now, the general impression of God, and while I'm counteracting this in your mind, I want you, I've got two groups in mind when I'm teaching you this. I'm seeing a group that you'll be preaching to, either as an evangelist or a pastor or a teacher, whatever your capacity is, and I'm seeing you. First, I want to convince you, and then you can go out and convince that group. But the general opinion of God is this. He's sitting up here and he's got big old heavy eyebrows. And they're 
curled up. They just, he's just sitting there. And uh, he has frowned so long until they, his forehead is deeply wrinkled. And he's got a big old billy club laying right over here. And there's one of those uh, K-men's deals with those prickly things on the end of it. Well, it's laying right here. And there's a long rod over here and a bull whip in his hand. And he's a frowning. And here comes this poor little Jesus named Saint that did everything they knew to do to obey his strict commandments. And they are desperately in need. But here they come. And they cowardly and and, and apologetically come and say with their finger in their mouth, uh, excuse me, don't hit me. Oh, don't. Please don't hit me. I, I just need something. Uh, which one of these buttons must I use on you? Get out of here. I know it sounds exaggerated, but you'd be surprised to know the attitude some folks have got of God. They think he's got to have his arm twisted and He's got to really be, you know, just he's a hard old businessman. He's about half sour at the world, and, and he don't have much. And what he's got, he's going to hold on it. That is so adverse from God that it's even ridiculous. He's a God of judgment. He'll judge you for your sins. He's a God that demands righteousness. He will not put up with iniquity. But on the other hand, his greatest moments of pleasure, if you could be convinced of it, is when you are talking to him. Why did he make a man to begin with? He made someone that would love him by choice and have communion with him. And so the sweetest moments with God is when he hears your voice. Would you note that this is a good sermon for you to preach sometime? God would let you. In the book of Psalms of Solomon, if you want to preach on prayer, here's your good scripture to start with. Chapter 2. This is God's attitude toward you and I in prayer. Verse 14. Psalms of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 14. Oh, my dove, thou art in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs. Let me see thy countenance. Let me hear thy voice. For sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is comely. God's attitude toward our praise. Sweet is thy voice. This is the story between a lover and his bride. And it depicts and portrays Jesus Christ with his church. The sweetest moments of affection for God is when you're talking to him in prayer. If you can believe the door does not have a sign, no admittance. But instead the veil was rent in twain and written all over the walls of that holy place is the signs. Whosoever will, let him come. Welcome. Come on in. I'm, I'm ready. I could prove to you tonight, if I had the time in this class, I could prove to you that God has written the promises of this book to simply encourage you to pray. That's how much he enjoys your prayer. 
He enjoys doing things for us. He is not a bankrupt businessman that's disgruntled. He enjoys answering. So Moses recognized this. He understood. And when he approached God, he did not approach him in that manner that you would think, Oh God, uh, now I'm fixing to ask for something, but oh how terribly unworthy. And by the time he finished, felt so defeated that sure enough his faith left him. Somewhere we've got the balance, humility, and unbelief. Some of this self-defeat is nothing but unbelief. It's not true humility. Even in you, this, you'll find this sometimes in working around the altar. I had one young man. Well, I heard him for a solid hour. Repent, my God, forgive me, oh my! And he wasn't praying either, boys. He was meaning it, and he is as mean as a hornet. He needed to repent, but he didn't need to repent that long. That grieves God for you to doubt His forgiveness, and that grieves Him. I finally stopped the boy. I said, I don't want to hear that no more. Man, you've repented enough to save the whole world. This whole community has been repented for as far as you're concerned. Why don't you stop that now and believe he's done it and start saying, Jesus, I love you. Somewhere the people's got to be taught to believe in God's mercies. Along with our teaching strictness and God knows you need that, you're going to have to have it. Or they'll be sinning on you. You've got to teach the fear of God. You've got to teach the judgments of God. As in the days of Joshua, he had both the blessings and the cursings read for their safety and protection. But on the other hand, somewhere we've got to get the balance that God does care and he wants to hear his prayer. And our attitude determines whether or not we get it. If I come so thoroughly defeated, I'm going to leave thoroughly defeated. But every now and then, God wants you to stand up like a man and talk to him. I mean as friend to friend. Now let me show you in God's Bible a friend of God. The Bible calls him God's friend. What's his name? Abraham. Now this is the friend of God. How does Abraham deal with it? Well, one day God says, I'm, I believe I'm going to have to do something about Sodom. This is getting awful wicked down there and I can't stand it anymore so I'm going to destroy it. But before I do, I want to talk to my friend. Now can you imagine God confining himself before he'd even do anything to a city and say, I must talk to my friend Abraham. Well, did Abraham beat his head on the ground and scream bloody murder when God walked up there and started talking to him and telling him about what he planned in that city? I'll tell you what it reminds me of. It reminds me of when we went to South America and we'd go into a place and find something we wanted to buy. We knew they were asking too big a price for it to begin with because we were they knew we were from America and they consider all Americans wealthy which we were not but they consider them all that and if the price is too high and we uh, say uh, no 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 and start to walk out no no come back come back come back and they put another price on no that's too high and before it's over with they they put about three or four prices on it and got it down to where it ought to be where they expected to sell it to begin with and what we expected to buy it with and and, far and and we're both happy. Well, this this kind of reminds me of a bargaining session. God says to Abraham, I'm going to destroy that city over there. And Abraham stands there like a man. And without any fear, without any guilt, without any feeling of remorse, he says, but God, would you destroy it if there were 50 righteous there? Well, no, no, uh, friend, I won't do that. For your sake, I'll... 
I'll spare it if it's 50. Abraham got to thinking, counting in his mind, well, I know old Lot's three boys is rotten to the core. Man, he got to counting. I don't believe there's 50 down there. Say, God, would you destroy it at this point? What about 30? And before he got through dickering with God, he had it down to 10. Now, this tells me something. That God is not the untouchable and not the unreasonable God. He simply said, come, let us reason together. I don't, uh, I don't want to use this term bargain with you. I don't like that. But uh, he'll deal with us if you could come boldly to his throne and learn that just pray, talking to him. I mean, I tell you, an old prayer warrior that I love to hear pray, every chance I get, I slip around and hear him. He's a blind man. His name is Joe Duke. When he was here in revival, I'd do my best to come in and him not know about it and listen to him pray. And any of you that know Joe Duke, you know that there's not been an evangelist in our times praying more people through the Holy Ghost. I wouldn't have any way of knowing how many thousands he's prayed through by the laying on of his own hands. I would not have any way of knowing how many miracles. I'm talking about blind eyes open. I'm talking about deaf ears unstuffed. I'm talking about cancers falling off. But you know where he gets it? He prays like a man goes on a job. Seen him in revival, get up of a morning. Maybe he'd uh, eat a bite, maybe he wouldn't. And he'd go to the church and pray till lunchtime. Come in, eat a bite, rest a minute, and go back and pray again. And there's no telling how many hours a day he'd put in in prayer. But when he walked in the pulpit, something's fixing to happen. And I just love to hear him pray. Very seldom does he ever kneel. He may, uh, sometimes I've seen him kneel. But the majority of the time, he just kind of walks around. And uh, he's uh, kind of like uh, I would be talking to Brother Marshall. I've heard him say, Father, now, uh, you know that man that was here last night? I wish you'd bring him back to service tonight and fill him with the Holy Ghost. And Father, I wish you'd, uh, uh, and just talking to him. <clears throat> you know, if we complicate God so many times, do we? by the time we've thrown up our little camouflages and, and defeats and ideas and, and uh, scarecrow images of God, by the time we get to him with all that between us, it's hard for us to reach him. If we could be, as the Bible said, become as a little child, you know, the little girl was praying and sneezed real big and loud, and she said, excuse me, Jesus, for sneezing in your face. If we could just believe that he's that near and that he's listening. And Brother Duke just keeps talking. Father, uh, you know this, uh, I've heard him pray for churches throughout the country. Uh, brother so-and-so is over there in a revival, and I wish you'd give him a mighty revival. Oh, God, give him a mighty revival. Just talking to him. Brother, that's that's a that's friendship. That's confidence. Amen. I remember an old man up home by the name of Sam Mitchell. I always honored him since I was a little boy, and he's another one, and I like to hear pray. He had the same feeling of relationship to God. He just believed he could talk to him. And I'll never forget my mother was real sick here in Houston for five weeks. We it looked like every day was her last day. She couldn't eat anything. And uh, for five weeks, she lay at the point of death, sometimes not even conscious. And one day she, uh, or night, whichever it was, she 
finally aroused and said, uh, somebody go get old brother Sam Mitchell to come pray for me. Well, he lives way back in the sticks of Louisiana, and so we called as close as the nearest phone to him, and they go down to see if they can find him. Well, where they found him, he was down behind the field praying, fasting that day. God had him prepared. They told him what uh, they wanted, and so they put him on the train. I went down to the Union Station, and uh, old brother Sam had never been to Houston. He had hardly been out of this little local area in Louisiana. He did not have, his shoes were not shined, had never been. His uh, hat certainly was not well uh, fixed. It was lop, kind of lopsided. His shirt was not what you really say was a good uh, match for the rest of his clothes. His suit was not matched. The coat didn't match the pants. And he got off of the train and made about three steps and just stopped there. And when I found him, that's where I found him, stood up. He told me, he said, I was afraid to get lost. He said, I just decided I'd better stay right here until you came out. And I looked at that old man, and normally, I would say normally, that uh, the average young man would have been ashamed of him. But I had rather met that man than the President of the United States, because I knew what was back there in the background. And I greeted him and took him right through the main corridors of the Union Station, and took him to the car, just as proud of him as I could be. Brought him home. He never did talk very much. Came in the room and his mother looked up at him and said, Brother Sam, can you still pray the prayer of faith? He was the one that helped pray for me when I was 11 months old and died as dead as anybody will ever die. Room full of witnesses. And God raised me from the dead. And Brother Sam was one of them that helped pray. He and my mother. And uh, many times that he prayed the prayer of faith. And mother said, Brother Sam, can you still pray the prayer of faith? He said, I believe I can. There wasn't anything... Uh, you, you couldn't have charged him with self-exaltation. That was confidence. He wasn't being uh, exalted. That wasn't a lack of humility. That was confidence. Believe it, can Got his little bottle of oil out like the old-time preachers that carried it in their watch pocket. Little bitty bottle of oil. He got that out and he opened that lid instead of putting a little on his finger. He just turned it up and poured it over his head. And said, Jesus, you speak the word and the work will be done. Everything will be all right. My Lord, we'd been praying for five weeks and couldn't get no results. And instantly she is healed. <laughs> I'm just contending as I've observed that attitude determines results when you go to God. Get up. You can walk around there. Samuel was just a bemoaning why they had lost the victory. Get up. Of course, in the case of Samuel, it was to find out what was wrong. But there's attitude. God wants you to be a man when you approach him. He wants you to have confidence in him. He doesn't want you to come all defeated and cowardly. He loves you and made it plain that he justified you. None of us are worthy. Oh no, we're not worth shooting. But because of his blood and his mercies and what he has done for us, I can come just like a child to his father. Brother Marshall, our children don't just come crawling, barely looking up, afraid they're going to get knocked in the head. My girls come around. They believe in their dad. It's like Brother James Kilgore said his little girl came running into the office, said, Daddy, give me a nickel. And before he had time to say, get out of here, I haven't got time to fool you, I'm busy. She said, and Dad, you've never let me down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, listen. <laughs> 
I said, Brother Kilgore, did she get the nickel? He said, what do you think? <laughs> Friend, when you come with confidence and express that confidence, there's something about God. He enjoys being trusted. Stand up. Have some uh, courage about you when you pray. I'd hate to use myself as an example because I certainly do not feel that I'm a great prayer warrior. But let me share some experiences to impress what I'm trying to impress on you tonight. If you are a man who has a work of God at heart, there will come times when you're going to have to stand up like a man and make your request known unto God. You're going to have to forget unworthiness and all of your failings and come like a man. I remember I was in revival in Miami, Florida. We had gone for a number of nights without praying anybody through, and that I could not stand in revivals. I got down between the altar and the pulpit, and I said, God, uh, not to threaten you. I'm just simply in desperation, I'm telling you. That you either give me somebody with the Holy Ghost tonight or daylight will not catch me here in the morning. I refuse to stay in a place where I can't pray people through to the Holy Ghost. And I wasn't doing it commanding God except. Now there's a scripture that says concerning the works of my hands command ye me. There's a difference in just plain human ingenuity telling God what to do. Thinking you're smarter than God. And another thing of boldness and persistence. Are you following me on this point? Do you see what can you divide it in your own thinking? The difference between just being reckless and demanding and simply having faith and confidence and boldness enough to be persistent. There is a difference. And if you're the other way, God won't hear you. But if you can learn the thin line between it, between just bossing God and telling God what to do and downright persistence and determination. God enjoys that. Well, by the time I'd raised my head up from that desperate prayer, there was two men receiving the Holy Ghost. Now, it, I have never got there that I didn't get results. I've never gotten desperate with God in my life that I didn't get results. Sometimes you just got to forget all unworthiness and come with as he said boldly to the throne of grace. Praise him. Everybody said thank you Jesus. Thank you Jesus. Let me borrow your watch again tonight brother Gary. I don't know where I'm at. I can't see the time. Which way is up and which is down. Yeah here we are. Has anybody got a question right along in here? Brother Eddie. Uh, last night and tonight the, the same question comes to mind. I've heard it preached. I've heard people pray for the sick. I saw them minister to the sick. And I'll ask God to heal them right now. Heal them, God, right now. And then I've heard evangelists uh, from the pulpit preach and say, don't, don't ask God to do it right now. But ask His will to be done. I'd like to hear your views on that if, if you feel it at this time. Could I just give you my own personal approach? That's all I know is what how I feel. Uh, I always ask for immediate results. It doesn't make any difference what it is I'm asking for. I want the current. And I've got to go to God. If, if you don't, I'm glad you brought that up, Brother Eddie, because uh, this could become, instead of a blessing, a snare to you, 
because you may casually ask for it and didn't get it and could have had it if you'd have been more determined. It could have been a current answer, but because you were thinking more in terms or leaning more in terms. See, unbelief would lean towards memorial praise. I'm glad you brought that because it, it could have hindered someone's faith. But it doesn't make any difference who I'm praying for or what their condition I always ask for immediate results. Every time. Because, and I believe for immediate results. I'm, I'm expecting immediate results. Okay, let's say all of a sudden it didn't break. Then I begin to realize, well, there's either something wrong. There's a sin, there's correction, there's a purpose, or else there's something wrong with us. Now, the old time way we used to pray for the sick, it wasn't that little quick job of just dobbing them and going on. And when somebody got sick, they called them in, and they'd stay there sometime whole nights. This same old brother Sam Mitchell has spent many a night with us. And we'd stay there and pray, and we'd read the Bible a while, and build faith a while, and confess. See, that's the reason why I feel like trusting God is so valuable to us. It'll make you search your heart. And uh, we'd wait on God, and maybe God would give us an answer of what it's all about. There may come tongues and interpretations. Or someone may have a revelation as to why. But I first asked for the immediate. I never failed to do that. And I put forth every effort to believe that it's going to happen. Even an affliction. How do I know what the last payment has been paid on that layover? All, I've got to, all I know to do is simply ask for it now. Then if it doesn't come and there is a stall, I start searching for his will. I don't know if I'm making it clear in your mind or not, but I hope so because this could become confusing and even create doubts in your mind. Now, when I say current and memorial, I'm generally using the memorial term in terms of more than a day or a week. You understand what I mean? When I refer to memorial, I'm generally referring to maybe some unsaved loved one or, or even sometimes afflictions. Let him that is afflicted pray. Now, uh, a prayer could become a current prayer, though it may not be answered till next weekend, but I consider that still in the line of current. It's, it's not stretched out over months and months and months. Now, here's where you stress your memorial, is when that dear old saint is prayed maybe for months and still ain't got. Otherwise, most of, most of your desires should be toward the current. But if they don't come, then what? I want to pray for a young man. And uh, I do not say boasting, but I believe that God will hear my prayer. Here's my faith. I believe that when I lay hands on anybody, for the authority vested in me through the word of God and the gift of the Holy Ghost and the call of the ministry, something's going to happen. That's my faith. Whether it be for Holy Ghost or healing, blessing, whatever, I just believe something's going to happen by the laying on of hands. And as I walked into this young man to pray for him, I felt in my heart that God would hear me. I searched my heart. Everything was clear and clean. I felt like it was for him. Well, momentarily he aroused a little bit and then went back into a coma. So I, I said to the father and some of those standing around, I said, I'd like to go to the church and pray. When I saw I was not getting current answers, I recognized there was a problem somewhere. So usually this calls for an additional praying. And if people's not willing to wait on God, this is where they're going to miss it. 
Now, it doesn't mean that it will not become current before I leave there. It could. There may be just a little block in the way. Well, I've got to search all of that out. If there is no little block in the way, if there's no immediate reasons for it, there's a long-term plan God has in mind. In this case, it was the will of God for the boy to die. And he died. I mean, with, with giants far greater than myself in prayer standing around. Well, it was the will of God. Now, I believe that's the reason Peter knelt at Dorcas' bed. I believe he was searching the will of God. But you see, what I'm saying is I ask for current results every time. I believe we should. If they don't come, find out what hinders. That's when you start searching for the will of God. Now, I don't mean that I've ignored the will of God in my first prayer. I just consider it because of his word. I consider it his will to heal him until he tells me otherwise. Is that clouded up or cleared up? Brother Eddie, you got any further question or comment on it? That might help? I wanted to comment with you because I've seen things like that happen before. Brother Eddie, unless there's a delay, in other words, unless you're seeing, obviously seeing that it's not happening, it never, I don't think a person should really let it dwell on them too much that it's not the will of God to heal them. And the devil can take advantage of that, see. Until God makes it clear it's not his will, I'm going to believe that it is his will because there's so many promises that it is his will. That's what I had in mind. I saw people say, well, it's just not God's will that I'm uh, to be healed. And uh, I've just always been wondering, well, when in the world did you find out that it wasn't God's will? Yeah. And that's just my thoughts on that. Yeah. And uh, then uh, that memorial up there would just uh, open the door for somebody with that type of... Uh, Unbelief. Yeah. That would just make it easier for them to unbelieve. Yeah. If you don't clearly understand what I'm saying in memorial prayers, you will turn what would have been current prayers into memorial prayers and they wind up with no answers. When you lay hands on somebody and they don't do like that, well, that's a memorial prayer. In other words, that's, that would be easy to feel. Yeah. Here's, here is the benefit of knowing the two types of prayer. Strictly, if that dear old sister's been prayed for time after time after time. Or they prayed for a loved one and no results. You've got, and there are memorial prayers. There's prayers that you just simply, God's not going to answer today. But I'll tell you what, I'm asking every one of them for today. Now, if he chooses not to give them today, I'll just keep asking him. But in the meantime, I'm asking for today. I don't want to go there thinking, man, this may be, uh, may not be God's will. You can just kill your faith. By saying, you know, this searching for the will of God is a mighty wonderful thing if everything else has failed. <laughs> if you please understand what I'm saying, that I'm not ignoring God's will, I'm conscious that there is a will. But on the other hand, you start searching for it, and the devil will jump in there and say it's not. And a lot of folks are carrying all afflictions that they actually believe is the will of God for them to have. Brother Mark? Let me ask what might seem to be a silly question. You know, my little niece that comes here, she's definitely. And we have had her prayed for time and time again. I've requested prayer for her. Yet nothing seemingly happens. I mean, as far as her hearing our speak. And uh, I come out of the family of the Church of Christ, which definitely do not believe in uh, God's being able to heal. Or they say he can heal, but he won't heal. And my question is this. Can their unbelief, would that hinder our belief? Yes. Uh, I answer you with what the Word of God said about Jesus, the great healer. 
He did not many mighty works because of their unbelief. Now, there is such a thing, and this, this gets teased right in here, and in the back of my mind that I've used to overpower unbelief. The Bible said that their unbelief does not make the faith of God without effect. Now, one man believed that it was going to rain in spite of probably hundreds that thought it was going to be dry the rest of their life. But when you go to deal with a child whose parents are unsaved, or maybe they're saved, but they're, the parents are responsible for believing for that child, and there's unbelief there, you're going to hit a block. There's no question about it. And uh, the, this must be understood that whether it be current or memorial, doubt's going to hinder prayers one way or another. And some of this, as Brother Eddie brought up, may be thrown into the memorial class when it's nothing but doubts. You could have had it today. But when you learn to be persistent and walk with God, some of this naturally comes with experience. As you're praying for a sick person, the Holy Ghost will speak to you. I've had it do it numbers of times. And will impress you. I've actually laid hands on them and started to pray for them. And the Spirit of God stopped me. Dead still. I couldn't have prayed it, but I wanted to. And then as I waited to know why he stopped me, he would make me to know. There was something wrong. There was a sin or something needed to be corrected. So uh, in working with this, the Holy Ghost doesn't leave you ignorant of it. I believe this. Uh, he is the author and finisher of our faith. He will not author a faith that he does not intend to finish. Now, I believe this. When I come to pray for whatever, my problems or anyone else's problems, I expose myself to the author and finisher of my faith. That author of my faith gives me the faith needed for that hour. Believe me, if this man is afflicted and it's the will of God for him to be instantly healed, you will generally get that current faith to come to He's the author and the finisher. And if you struggle and wrestle and you still haven't got that faith, he's the author. So he's not ready to finish it or he had authored it. <laughs> Authorized it. it. It comes with an experience in prayer that faith comes to me as I pray, whatever it is. As I pray, it comes as an assurance or either current or down the road. Now, when I was so sick with my stomach, couldn't eat a thing. I mean, everything hurt me. I had everybody pray for me. I thought, had any faith whatsoever and prayed for myself till I was given nearly out. And finally, nothing happened. I finally said, okay, God, I'll never ask you again to heal this particular affliction. Never. I'm going to thank you. Go to the table, stomach hurting. Thank you, Lord, for healing my stomach. Now, believe me, my prayer fell in a memorial prayer. But my faith believed that somewhere down that road, I'm fixing to get it. I got up believing every morning it was going to be there. If it wasn't, I believed that evening it'd be there. It fell into this type. And it took, oh, I don't know, it took several months. But all of a sudden, I woke up one day and was eating something that I never had in several years been able to eat. Healed. Well, there's been other times, I'd say over half of the time that I've prayed for myself or had people pray for me for my healing is current, instant. You know, you start immediately recovering. So and my advice to you would be, rather than hinder your faith, 
My advice is to ask now. I believe that's the will of God. If it doesn't come, what's, why is it come? Search the Spirit, and God will tell you. Sometimes people's faith cannot bring current results. That's a recovery faith. I've seen them prayed for that maybe in two or three days completely was healed. But their faith wasn't instant. wasn't a miraculous faith. So you have to also give vent for that. And that's generally talking about praying for the sick. All right. Brother Dean, I've heard it said many times that uh, you can hold God. Sometimes. I'd like to see, I mean, I'd like to hear your comments on it. I mean, one time I heard that this preacher had fell sick and uh, his church had prayed. They had 24-hour prayer and they would take turns praying. And it wasn't God's will that he should heal this man, but they held God to it. And God did heal just for the man to go out and see him backslide and die. That's definitely possible. Definitely. I know a woman that was a faithful saint. The pastor's wife held on to God so desperately. This is how desperate she got. She said, God, if you don't heal her, take my name out of the Lamb's Book of Life. Now that's the overuse of what I've just been teaching you in this lesson tonight. That's abusing your boldness. That's not considering the will of God at all. And God healed the woman only to get up and fall back into sin. And as far as I know, the woman still lost. Went on, changed husbands three or four times, just lived a horrible life. Well, if God could have took her right then, she's ready to go. So if your prayers are not breaking through and they're lingering, then you better start searching what, what's wrong. What's the will of God in this case? And sometimes it can be immediately corrected. Other times it's just not the will of God. It's time for him to go. But I'll tell you what, you bet. Uh, I've had to pray some prayers. Now this, don't charge me for this. But I went into a revival one time and there was a couple of elderly people in the church, very faithful old saints that were sick. Had been lying on that bed for weeks and months. Saints having to go there every night and sit up with them. It was hindering the revival. I went over there to the old man's house one evening. I said, dear God, this man's ready to go. Would you take him on tonight? We buried him Monday. Tuesday, we went over to the old lady's house. I said, Lord, she's suffered long enough. Would you please take her to rest? We buried her Tuesday. It, it sounds ridiculous. Almost sounds cruel. But in reality, it wasn't cruel. Somebody was holding them there out of the will of God. And, I, and the Spirit impressed me that. I, I believe if I remember right, I told the pastor, somebody's faith holding these dear old people, just, they're just laying here suffering and hindering a revival. So I appealed to God to release them. And we buried both of them, one on Monday, one on Tuesday. So the will of God needs to be considered if it, you generally start really searching after it if the answer doesn't come immediately. Search why it didn't come. If it can be immediately corrected, the reasons it didn't come, you'll still get your current answer. See, when the prayer we're talking about here in Daniel, he said, I set my face. Now, the thing to do is set your face to get the answer. If it don't come today, I'm away for tomorrow. If it doesn't fall into current, it'll fall into tomorrow, but I'm still going to get it. I set my face. It might be very well for you to underline that set my face. That is the power of successful praying. It's when a man can take that little set screw and turn that dial 
and say, God, this is what I want. Now, God is, he's a, he's reasonable. If you are setting your face towards something that is not his will, he's got a way of letting you know that. He's got a way of doing it. So until he stops me, I've set my face. Until the static starts on the line, I set my face. Because if everything I go into, I've got to say, this may not be what he wants. You know, first thing you know, I've destroyed every bit of my faith. I've set my face. Sister Freeman was telling about her mother-in-law. I met her in Monroe, Louisiana several years ago. She had a boy by the name of Paul that went into World War I. We're still talking about number two, channels of approach, prayer, boldness to approach God. Paul went into World War I and they sent her a notice and he was killed in action. Sent her the checks, all of the papers, what a purple heart deal, gold star mothers, checks, whatever they are. And anyhow, she got all that from the government. That old lady sacked that stuff up, put it in the envelope, sent it back to him. Said he's not dead. He's alive. Said, I asked God to save him before he died, and I prayed through over it, and he gave me the assurance of it, and he's not dead, and he won't die till he gets saved. They thought the shock of it had run her crazy. <laughs> I want to show you how the meekest man on earth and the friend of God all of these men, how they approach God. And here's a little old woman saying, no, he's alive. Ten years after World War I, they said, Mother Freeman, what do you think about Paul? Oh, he's alive. Fifteen years after the war was over, one evening late, came a knock at the door. And the old southern custom was to say, come in. Dad Freeman said, come on in. And in stepped a very unkempt stranger as far as Dad Freeman and others was concerned. But that little old mother heart knew. She looked across over at that bearded man and she said, Paul, I knew you was coming home. She held God for 15 years. When the government said it's something, friends said it's ridiculous to think of. She said, he's not dead. I prayed through. Friend, God can be helped and he enjoys that. The trying of our faith more precious than God. And, and, and the last I heard, Paul still did. And I'll guarantee you, he didn't die till he was saved. Even that old, though that old woman may die many years before him, her faith will hold him here till he's saved. I've got a friend that I've got to get to see her before she dies. She's had the Holy Ghost 60 years now, I guess. I'm better. Old Sister Bullhannon. And uh, I asked her to start in her own convenience to just writing down prayers that were answered in her life. She is the kindest speaking woman. Her husband was, he couldn't hardly get in that door. It wasn't that he was fat, he just big. Shaking his hand was like grabbing shoe leather. He was a brick mason and a preacher now and then. And I, I have seen that man draw back while he's a preaching and hit the wall with his fist as hard as he could hit it. In fact, he knocked the facing loose, completely loose. He hit it like this, 
and not completely loose, the pastor had to repair it the next day. Man. And rough, and rough talking. And she's just the kindest little woman. It's just such an opposite difference there, but it doesn't make any difference, the personality, it's the attitude you approach God. Now, old Brother Bohannon, when he is right with God, he could get some praise. That old man, God spoke to him to go down to a, a train station and, and told him to go to a certain town and preach, and he didn't have the money. He got his trunk and went down and sat down at the train station. He sat down. Train was coming. I mean, coming down the track, and he hadn't got nobody to give him any money. All of a sudden, a car drove up, and a fellow stepped out and handed him some money and said, Hey, preacher, you may need this. And he started back to his car, and, and Brother Bohan looked at it, and he figured back in those days they had to pay for the trunk in addition. And it was enough for him, just enough for him to go to that town, but it wasn't enough for his trunk. And he's looking at that, and all of a sudden that man turned around and said, Wait a minute, I didn't give you enough. God spoke to me to give you some more. And he had time just to buy his ticket and get on that truck. But, on the other hand, there was a few times that probably he didn't get his prayer through because he was a little carnal. But, what I wanted to say was this. Uh, Sister Bohan, this talking to God business, this prayer, I'm trying to impress you with a point that we can be friends to God and tell him what we want to talk to him, reason with him, in faith, believing he's going to hear me. Sister Bohannon was uh, telling us about her boy John. I met him. He's a fine boy. He's not saved yet, but uh, he was in the Navy. And uh, she had a letter, mind you, in her possession that was saying that he was on his way somewhere in the Gulf of Mexico, on his way overseas. And he couldn't tell her in the letter where it was. And uh, I don't know when I'll see you, Mom, but I'm on my way to a point overseas. And we're somewhere in the Gulf of Mexico. And Sister Bohannon said she was got down. She had not seen John in, in about a year, a little better than a year. And with that thought that he was going overseas and she wouldn't get to see him just really perplexed her. And she said, uh, she started talking to the Lord. I can just hear now, just a soft voice. Wasn't no salvation involved. It just, God loved that old woman so much until she had a desire and she won't see her boy and so he said, okay, angel, get you some hammers and get you some wrecking bars and see that little old boat out there? Tear that engine up to where it'll take him two or three weeks to fix it because a day or two won't suffice. She needs to see her boy for two or three weeks. And do it now because it's closest to Galveston. Because if you wait a little while, they'll be put on down to New Orleans and that'll take him longer to get home. And he can stay at home more if he can come from Galveston. That's the nearest point home. And I tell you what, messenger... Go whisper to that captain to give him a leave. Because one of my children just got through telling me they wanted to see their boy. <laughs> you hear me? When you get right with God, then you know how to contact God. There's no limit to what God would do for you. Brother Park says in, in, in South, America, South Africa, they were clearing off a runway for the little plane the organization gave them. And in that part of the country, way back in that jungle area, those trees are mammoth things. They grow 150 feet high. Way up there, as big around as my body, they've got roots 30 feet high that go out 30 and 40 feet from the tree all the way around it to brace it. Nature fixed it for those big storms they have over there. And he said there was one of those giant trees standing beside this little clearing. And they had spent weeks 
just like cutting down a big tree to cut one of the roots. And they'd spent weeks on that tree, and had gotten about half cut down, expecting it to fall the opposite direction. The reason they were interested in cutting it down, they figured some night the wind could come, blow it across the runway, and there they'd be, and not have no place to land. So they was clearing it out of the way and hoped it to fall in that direction, the opposite direction. And said the uh, sky was clear, not a cloud nowhere. I was working along there, and all of a sudden that tree started popping and breaking, but it was falling toward the runway. And they knew as giant a tree as it was, they would never be able to move it. And he said he stepped back and said, Oh God, you said you was a present help in time of trouble. Help me. And he said instantly there was a clap of thunder, a cloud arose, lightning flashed, and a wind came and picked that tree up and dumped it out in that forest. And he said after it was over, there was not a cloud nowhere. They went on working the rest of the day. A friend of God. You're not dealing with a bankrupt businessman that's got a frown on his face. You're dealing with God that's got storehouses that's bulging. When you start to open the door, be careful. It don't, don't all fall out on you at one time. The meekest man on earth says, God, if you, first of all, I just want you to know I didn't bring. I don't believe there was sarcasm in that. I, I believe there was just, I believe there was a confidence there. I want you to know, God, that this is all yours. Daniel, in this prayer that we're studying about here, the five-point prayer, he said, We do not present this supplication to you for our righteousnesses, but for thy great mercies. And he said, For thy people that are called by thy name. This is your cause, God. Now, this obligates God. And this is not my church. This is not my program. I didn't institute all of this. Don't you the one did. And God don't mind being, he doesn't mind at all being reminded that it's his. And that's exactly what Moses was doing. Praise God. Oh, I'll tell you the truth. When I, if you want, if you like adventure, the greatest place for adventure is in a prayer room. You can soar so far. Yes. The most interesting things can happen when you pray. I could tell you things that I know you'd laugh at me. But as a boy, things God did for me just, just miraculously. Silly for me to even ask them, really. But he did Adventure. I loved it. And I still like it. I like to deal with power. If I'm going to drive a tractor, I'd like to have the biggest bulldozer they make. I sometimes look at those things and wish, oh, if I could get up there and knew what to do and pull back those levers and let all that power go to work. That's just, ooh, I like that. I'd like to drive one of those things that they've got that cuts down these big trees, you know. They just drive through there and trees just fall. Big ones I'm talking about. Man, wouldn't I like to pull the levers back on that? Well, what I'm trying to say is I, I take all of that desire out in prayer. And I grab a hold of some levers sometime. I almost wish I hadn't got a hold of them. They're so powerful. I don't know what to do with all of it. If you like adventure, if you like power, if you want interesting experiences added to your life, become a real prayer woman. The most interesting person to me is the person that I know is a great prayer. Have you ever been around them? There's an attitude. There's a spirit about them. It's just attraction there. You know they know something. There's a secret they know. The secret is with them that fear the Lord. Praise God. Well, we're almost running out of time. On the point of prayer, 
I'm trying to present to you a boldness of faith that you can have it. There's a multitude of scriptures to confirm this. 